Ott van még Nikolic. Nígó felé, Nígó helyzetben! Gól! Gól! Nígó kiegyenlít! Bravo, Loik! Bravo, Lolikám! Lajos! Szép gól volt! Sallai! Azon mellett még el tudjuk hozni. Sőt, Szoboszlai kap labdát. Szoboszlai előtte Nikolic bent középült könyves. Szoboszlai! Könyves szép helyet csinált neki! Szoboszlai lő! Gól! Hi guys and welcome to a special episode this week of the Hungarian Football Podcast, uh, a topic that's hotly debated um, for years, for decades even, and that's the youth in Hungary. Uh, we're talking under 21 levels and below, uh, an extremely uh, talented, rich group that we have currently at the moment. So we've got a great team of experts together tonight to um talk you through who's good who's going to make it be the next dare i say the next soboslai we haven't really seen the big soboslai yet come to a fore so yeah you know what i'm saying anyway um we are pleased to welcome uh, ivan militar who is a coach analyst and theorist who is currently coaching in virginia in america at richmond united um he's uh, hungarian as well so that obviously helps um ivan welcome to the show how are you hey thanks for thanks for hosting us um i'm really excited for this show i, I listen to you guys quite a bit so you know it's a it's an honor it's, listen it's great you've got a great um podcast at the minute going on on youtube as well for those that speak hungarian language definitely check that out we'll pop it in the links on twitter when we post this episode uh Bence is another guy Bence Bocsak who's here um someone who's been champion championing the uh the talent that Hungary has for years and years and years and years so we really 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 couldn't have um two better people on the show this episode Bence nice to hear you back again yeah good to be back on uh not not as long as it was last time I was on uh, I think it was only a couple of weeks ago we were talking about Hungarian football was it last week maybe I don't know it was you see such is the excitement that hungarian football generates that we have to put all these episodes up almost weekly at the moment <laughs> um last but not least he's a regular and he's also a guy who's famous for missing a penalty in an international cup final it's mr thomas mortimer tom any redemption from that yet no but my ear has fixed which is which is good I, I don't know if it was a final either because it was kind of, it was like a charity shield more he kind of just qualified actually more like the boat race you kind of just qualify automatically and then all the other teams yeah just don't get in but I oh, guess we're, we're against Scotland but uh yeah good I to be here yeah I hope it was all set up for you you know it, this could have been you know big big things for you people could have started going on transfer marks etc <laughs> well that is true but about a minute before about a minute before I um got my earring caught in the in the net and it pulled my earlobe open so I kind of had my eyes on or my mind was kind of on different things trying to work out if my ear would actually ever fix itself and it has done to be fair so that's a good thing um yeah think of the money yeah. that you can save now um without having to buy that crazy kind of jewelry stuff people put in their ears with the great big earlobes and that to pretend that you did it 
like yeah. fashion rather than stupidly getting caught up in a net. Yeah, or well, like the African, it's like kind of kind of African heritage as well, isn't it? Like they have big things in like very much, tribes yeah. and stuff. Yeah, you're ahead of the game, Tom. Ahead of the I game. I am, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Guys, let's get into it. This is going to go on for a while, I believe, because uh, yeah, it, it's it's it say it's such a hot topic. Um, Ivan, first of all, uh, it was something we kind of touched on on the last podcast um, when we were talking about Zoltan Guerra being the manager of the under-21 teams. How, at the moment, do we have so many good young players um, who are obviously fantastic individually? They're just not doing it as a team. Now, is that due to Zoltan Guerra? I know we're asking the same question again, but it'd be, be interesting to hear your opinion on that. I think uh, that question has two parts to answer. Um, one is regards to Zoltan Guerra and his abilities as a coach and, and his situation as a as a trainer. But the other one is I think we are a little bit biased and um, I'm usually very positive about Hungarian football, but um, I must say we are a little bit biased towards, oh, we have so many talented players. Yes, we have so many talented players, but, you know, compared to what? Um, because so- something like the United States where, where I reside, you know, they can say the same thing and they have a hundred more than than uh, what we have. Uh, players that you don't even know, like for example, Ferenc Rasch's right back, Wingo, which we would sign right away to be Hungary's right back. He's that talented, he's that good. So, and he's not even close to be on the United States men's national team. So, you know, this is the kind of, I think the perspective is very important in that. Um, without doubting what you said and without saying that what you said was not true because we do have a lot of talents and. Um, in a 10-year comparison, I think we have an increased amount of uh, players, especially coming from um, the local academies of Hungary. Um, that's one one part of the answer. The other one is is uh, is twofold, right? I, I heard from um, who did I talk to? Oh, I talked to Andrea Schaefer, who you know playing for Union Berlin, the starting center center midfielder for for the national team, Hungarian national team who said that, you know, youth national team results don't really matter. I mean, it's it's not really it's not really a measuring stick of how is, you know, how is your youth national teams doing. Um, and Gerald Zoltan, Zoltan Gerald is somebody that, you know, very early in his career, I think he wasn't ready for this job. Um, and I think it would benefit him more if he's with a with a, a club that he, he's, he, you know, holds training sessions every day, every week. That way he, he gets more experience. Because if you look at from the from a youth national team schedule standpoint, um, they play maybe five six times a year, and they see each other five six times times three days, and then that's it. So that's not enough for a, for a coach to develop. No, so you know I I think that's the two folds that 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 question has, and it's an important important question. But but I think the perspective is very important in both both regards. Yeah, and Ben said there's no doubt that um, Guerra as a person uh, will will help players develop in terms of like not necessarily just on the pitch. Um, this guy's been through a lot in his life. This guy's done so many things in football as well that as a role model to these youngsters, I think he will be absolutely ideal. Um, what can he bring in terms of like teaching these players how to be obviously express themselves individually, but how to fit into a system as such, which they're going to have to do for whichever club they're playing at. Uh, well, that's the problem, I think, with Gary. He doesn't really have his own system yet. He kind of mimics the system that the national team play with Rossi. And uh, I don't know if 
if that's his own philosophy or whether he has a different philosophy, but he's kind of, I think, been forced probably by the MLS to some extent to to use that system as it's easier for the players then to move up and adapt into the first team. Uh, but like with Guerra as well, I would like to mention, I think he is improving in his results with the national team as well. Uh, for example, I think the last result against Poland, Hungary were very close to getting a, a victory away to Poland. And that would have been an excellent result because Poland had a, a really strong team out there at the time. You know, I think their striker has been playing regularly for Palmer. And uh, then, yeah, they had Kasper Kozlowski on, uh, in, in the starting eleven as well, who was made history at the Euros in the summer. And he moved to for big money to Brighton in January. Uh, I think Kaminsky was playing as well, who's going to be moving to the Bundesliga in the summer as well, to Wolfsburg. So there was a lot of talent out there. And I think there was a couple of centre-backs as well with Serie A experience and playing fairly regularly in the top flight of Italian football. So to get a good result there, um, with with the players that he had available, talented players, but nowhere near as good as, as, as their opposition. Yeah, and... Tom, it's interesting what um, what what Schaefer was was saying to Ivan um, in terms of you know the results are not necessarily important at under twenty one level, but looking at the kind of um, winning mentality, if you like, or knowing what it's like to qualify for tournaments or get to the finals of even youth tournaments, do you think that's something that's like pretty important to 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 kind of do? Um, before stepping up into the national team, or do you, do you think there's some mileage in in what Schaefer was saying? Yeah, it's a difficult one, and then I was going to ask the guys after this also, like regarding formations using the same formation throughout the youth system. I don't, I don't particularly think I agree with that kind of mentality. Like Rossi has a very set way of playing, which is. Obviously, it worked for him at Arnvey, and obviously has worked for him very well for the national team. But I don't think that's that's the philosophy that Hungary should take on for the next 20, 30 years or whatever. It's not a philosophy which you could say, oh, this is going to be the perfect system for the Hungarian style of play. For the players that we produce, it's going to be the perfect system. I feel that, well, how long is Rossi going to be in the job, for example? Like, is he going to be the manager forever? And he's going to be like, or Luchescu or whatever, like, or Alex Ferguson of Hungarian football. He's not. He's, he's going to be in the job for maybe three or four more years or five more years or, or so on. So I, I feel like playing that system through, you can see some positives for it. Like if, if a player moves up from the under 21 level and then plays for the national team, he's kind of, yeah, he's, he's become accustomed to that formation and he's used to it. And then hopefully when he goes into the national team, it won't be as foreign to him. But if you're thinking of like the 17s, the 19s, the 21s, and you've gone through the whole system, what really is, I don't really see that use from a like philosophical perspective. From, a, I think, the point you make about us being competitive and actually wanting to win games, there is a, we spoke about in the last pod, I think I said, like, there is at youth team level, you shouldn't really be looking at results. You should be looking more at performances. And I think that's what you want to see. But you 
you don't want to just write off um, results as well. Like you, you want to see the competitiveness. Again, we spoke about on the last pod of a lack of competitiveness in MB1 a lot of the time. Like you do see players go through the motions like mid-table clubs become mid-table very, very early in MB1 because of only two teams go down and only one team wins the title and then for us have run away with the title again. Um, so you get these middle middle ground teams, which and there isn't much competitiveness. Whereas, get getting to a, a finals, and you see how competitive like our under 17s were, and how much uh, when we qualified a, a few years ago, and you see how much it meant to the under 19s when they went out the other night. Like that is the kind of football that you do want to inspire in people, because obviously from a philosophical perspective and from a technical perspective, you want them to improve, of course, and from a tactical perspective. So you want all that, but you do need a competitive drive in people as well. And I think one of the things that Hungarian football has lacked in maybe the past 20 years or so, like we've had technical players, but sometimes the mentality has not always been there. You think to, in my opinion, someone like Balas Dujak, who didn't have the right mentality to make it a club football you you see his mentality on the pitch he was he was a winner above like a lot of footballers like you could tell how much it meant playing for the national team but like not everyone's always like that you, you just look to someone like Roland Juhash he was a winner born winner but not every Hungarian player goes in with that kind of same mentality and I think it is something that you do breed through the national uh, through the youth teams and I don't think you should just go, we're going to write off these games don't matter in terms of results. I think you want to breathe into into the people like, yeah, these games may be like the results aren't the be all and end all, but they should matter to you. And also you're representing your country at the end of the day. Like you see like how much Andros, it meant to Andros and I met scoring the other day or the night for them, the 21s. It should mean a lot. And and that in, in turn should translate to to these games, yeah, the results do matter. But obviously, it's 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 a tough one. You're kind of balancing the two. And Ivan, obviously, um, with your background in tactics and, and analysis, etc., do you think there's a case to be made to the MLS said that maybe like um, we should rip this system up that we do, and let's pick the very best players that we have, and pick a formation that allows them to develop into those positions that they're excelling at rather than trying to fit them into a side, if that makes sense? No, it's a, it's a fantastic question. Um, it's a matter of style and it's not the matter of formation. Um, the basic fundamental starting point uh, for any uh, coach and for any football development project, it is the style. What is the style that you want to follow? And then the formation will serve that direction, um, right? It's, it's, uh, it's basically, you know, building a house, right? You are not you're not starting the planning process. You have a dream of how you want that house to look like, and then you serve the planning process and the engineering and everything else going after that. Uh, not first the engineering and not first how the door is going to look like, but first you are having a dream of how that house want to look like. And and the same thing is going on in football. Um, I, I I wrote down and I, I put down some notes. Um, what Tom said, um, you know, there's two different ways to to organize a federation's youth setup. All the way the youth setup in connection with the with the senior first team, uh, bottom up or up to bottom, right? Um, and from the bottom up, um, that's a long term thinking. And from up to bottom, that's a short term thinking. Hungary is right now uh, because of different you know 
different um, reasons, and we can go into that as well. I think uh, largely political as well is that you know they have the pressure to have uh, results right away. Um, as a result, it's a short-term thinking, uh, which means that hey, let's get a national team coach that will have some kind of style, some kind of distinct style that we can we can all say that okay, this is this is uh, successful, which it is because we went to two different uh, European championships. Uh, you know, we play against Poland at home three-three and having big results beating Iceland. I mean, you know, in the European Championship, we are playing against the biggest opponents and we are faring pretty well against them. Um, however. Um, with that, it's not necessarily something that is coming from the Hungarian mindset, from the Hungarian tradition standpoint, which means that, you know, as maybe it is successful on the up, uh, the top of the chain, however, it will not go down into the bottom. It will not have an effect on how we develop players. It will not have an effect on how we develop coaches. It will not develop, uh, we will not have an effect on how we develop the traditional way, the culture around Hungarian football that it was, you know, based in the 50s about a country, countercultural, you know, free flowing. I mean, I'm not even going to go into it, a very different style, right? Um, on the other hand, we could do a bottom up which means that we're investing into the bottom, investing into your youth um, and the grassroots level, and we're going from the, from the bottom to the up. And then eventually we will, we will select a coach that can fulfill that obligation of playing that style that we established on the bottom. And now we are not doing that. So Marco Rossi is a up to bottom, I mean, sorry, a bottom, uh, up to bottom guy. That is, again, short term. Let's get somebody that will have a quick fix and then we can copy him. And that's what, what uh, Benze was saying about, about Zoltan Gero, that he copied basically uh, Marco Rossi's uh, system. And all of a sudden, now we're having a tie in Poland. I, I see that as a bad sign. I don't see that as a good sign. Um, it's a good sign because, yes, we are. And, and, and Tom is right. You know, the results are very important. And, and that, that is one way to to highlight our young talents. At the same time, at U21, U, uh, maybe U21 is an exception, actually. But U19, U17, U16, U15 uh, national team level, it should be the style. It shouldn't be the results. Uh, who cares if you lose in the U17 uh, semifinal, the European Championship, if you have four or five players that are going to become a first team player on the national team and, and go to the World Cup as a result, right? Uh, so I think, it is a, I think it is a very interesting uh, conversation, extremely interesting conversation. The other part, and, and then I will let you guys talk as well, but the coaching development side of things, right? Um, and and, I, and the, with, with my, uh, you know, individual personal conversations with Ben, so we talked about this already, so I'm, I'm relying on him as well on this, but, you know, the difference between uh, Steven Gerrard and Frank Lampard, right? Um, and, for example, Pardar Dai, who was uh, the national team coach for Hungary and ex-Hertha Berlin coach as well, who started in the youth setup, just like Steven Gerrard did, you know? And then when Steven Gerrard became, uh, became a first-team coach, he brought on, as an assistant, somebody that was in the youth setup as well at Liverpool. Uh, on the other hand, Frank Lampard went into right away to the professional ranks, and we can see that his career is not off to a great start. To be to be completely honest, it is not off to a great start, as opposed to Steven Gerrard, that, whose career is is much more, um, I would say, uh, advantageous. Or uh, you, you know, you can have positive feelings about it. So, uh, Ben, so what do you what do you think about about that? And and what I wanted to say on that coaching development part is that you know. For Zoltan Gera, it might have been more beneficial to go to the youth ranks, not right away to a national team setup, um, in order to develop just like Steven Gerrard did and not like how Frank Lampard did. No, I think those are interesting points. I want to touch on like the short-term thinking as well, because for me that just sums up uh, like 
sort of Hungarian football as a whole at the moment, you know, in throughout academy football, the kids are being taught to play it safe and not necessarily make risks. And uh, that's something I talked to Istvan Pichont about, who was, um, you know, he, he had a pretty high up position in the Homved Academy. Uh, and I think he's still fairly involved with the academy there. And he went to Liverpool's academy recently and he was mesmerised by the fact that when a player started dribbling, a coach, coaches didn't instantly start shouting at them and telling them off, like saying, what are you doing? Like, um, don't dribble with the ball. Instead, even if they lost the ball, uh, the coaches would praise them and say, like, unlucky, you'll go again and you'll try again. Whereas I think in Hungarian football, a lot of the times, like when I, I played football very young, you, you were taught not to dribble, just play it safe, pass it, and you develop very good technical players through through that system. But you don't develop the Zalan Vanchas who are going to change the game and who are going to be game changers. Or even, I would say, maybe Dominic Sobosay is up there as well as someone like that. So I think that sort of thinking and attitude needs to change in Hungarian football before we can, you know, like we can start talking about Hungarian football being at a level of uh, regions nearby like Serbia, Croatia and and all these other countries. And do you think this is like um, us being a victim of success in the past? And when I say in the past, and I hate to bring it up, but it's... The, the teams that we had in the 1950s, uh, even certain teams we had in the 1980s, a lot of the um, coaches and people involved at the clubs in, in, in Hungary at the moment are from that decade. So therefore, haven't necessarily developed with the way football has. From like what you were saying, the guy, you know, Ishvan's gone to Liverpool and is absolutely shocked at how they're coaching people. It's 2022. How how can you how can that be a shock to you? It's like you're not we're not behind an iron curtain anymore. You've only got to look on YouTube on your phone while you're sitting on the metro, and you can see what these kids are doing for under twenty one teams in in England, even for League Two teams, you know, and things like that. It's like how surely you'd, you'd be able to go back to Hungary and go, guys, you'll never guess what I've just seen that will help us play football. It, it's it's mind blowing, isn't it? Yeah. Um, sorry, Ben. Sir. Um, no, yeah, you know, I just I'm literally sitting at my desk and I have, uh, you know, Constraining Football by Ben Bartlett, English guy who wrote a book. It's a it says a vision for player and coach development. He's a, he's a person who worked in uh, women's soccer as well, but uh, women football, sorry, um, as well. But um, but, you know, he, he took a part in the English FA's. Um, new way of, of of developing the game, you know, and and um, the reason why I'm saying this is because Germany just going through another phase of that, where um, Germany just you know announced that they're gonna look at grassroots football completely different than than uh, before, but they already done that actually after the uh, if I remember correctly the 2010 World Cup, where they they you know reshaped entirely their thinking. Um, the difference between you know, because Hungary did the same thing. The difference between Hungary, Germany, and England is that uh, they kept the same people at the project or nearly the same people. They followed the path from step one to the last step, and then they waited for the result. As a result, Germany is 
absolutely full of young, talented players. I mean, it's ridiculous. England, same thing. Now, I understand that England and Germany is not the same as Hungary. However, and I have a, funny because I can just speak on on uh, on uh, on books. But there's another book next to me that is called Development Curriculum by Romeo Yozak, and I know Ben says is good with um, with Mr. Yozak as well, who is the father of Croatian football, and they had a curriculum that is based on you know technical ability and how they're gonna develop the country's you know potential and they went through it too so it's, it's not just germany england but it's countries like croatia too so the question is and this is you know this is like a, a cynical question why is hungary not able to not able to do that and where is that vision where is that plan who is going to be responsible for that vision who is responsible for the plan i have my own personal take on that and you said the iron curtain I think it is. I think it is very interesting to look at from a historical standpoint. Behind the Iron Curtain, there's two ways to come up with great ideas. One is when there is total freedom, and two, when there is total lockdown. The in between, in the neutral zone, in the lukewarm water, nobody wants to get out. If it's very cold or if it's very hot, that's when you want to get out. So I see Hungary being in that half peripheral situation where. You know, we are not behind the Iron Curtain, but also we are not uh, England or, you know, the United States where we are not, you know, this. And again, I don't want to go into a political talk, but, you know, it's a different part of the world. It's it's not it's not the same. As a result, we are just OK with somebody telling above our heads what to do. And when they tell us, not only are we expecting it, we are we are unable to think about other things if somebody's not telling us. And so this is a socio cultural reason as well. Uh, to that. But again, I will let uh, Ben answer this question as well. Yeah, I mean, there's not not much to add. I think I completely agree with everything Ioan has said. And I think the only thing I would add is when I was speaking to Romeo Yozak, who invented modern Croatian football, as Ivan said, um, I think one of the most interesting parts about it, when I asked him about how he selected the coaches at Dinamo Zagreb and everything, is... He said he, he didn't look at uh, UEFA licenses or anything like that, but he traveled across the country and he spent months, even I think years, uh, looking at potential coaching candidates, studying them and, and scouting them as extensively as you would scout a player. And uh, then picking a sort of dream team of coaches who he could rely on, who he could trust and who, who he knew they were going to carry out uh, his plan and his vision and and these were modern thinking people young people who necessarily didn't have the licenses um that you know you kind of need um at a level in like hungarian football it's expected that you get all these licenses but i think what romeo said is uh, people tend to get bogged down by the licenses and for him it's more important to find people who are on the same wavelength and who have um, a progressive idea about how to play football and who are open to change and making drastic changes within the but system. You need to have, but you need to have those values, don't you, right? Yeah, so Based true. on what is, who is on your wavelength is based on your values. Are you sharing yeah. those values with the others? And if you don't even have that wavelength, then you, how do you know that somebody's on your wavelength? I don't know. Yeah, that, that's the problem. I, I don't think there is any value or anything in Hungarian football at the moment like you said we're in just we're just in that lukewarm water where we're kind of just you know throwing ideas about like oh let's see how this works let's see how that works and we're mixing things together but 
I don't I haven't seen an idea or a methodology ever like go through a whole 10 year period it's it's all we're always chopping and changing things as well I feel like if you go back like you speak about like going behind the iron curtain and it's quite interesting I guess when you look at where Hungary came from when they fell when they came out of communism like if you look at eastern Germany for example when they came out of communism like the political class completely changed like it had a complete revamp whereas in Hungary like those political structures and the people who were kind of running the country and a lot of like the bureaucrats essentially they stayed on within within Hungarian society and Hungarian politics and so the structures especially in the early days of like post-communism in Hungary those structures and the bureaucrats of remained the same for like the for the 30 years post-communism so like the communist structures obviously they've changed in the highest levels especially with Fidesz but they've had to obviously adapt but the bureaucrats have stayed if that makes sense that culture that there was kind of very pervasive in 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 the downfall of Hungarian football essentially and Hungarian sport as communism kind of took hold and took hold you think back to how well not I guess not Hungarian sport because like we were always very good in like individual sports like Olympic type sports and swimming and stuff but football in particular has obviously been on a a downgrade for for the past 70 years and like those bureaucrats I guess in the positions especially with Hungarian football because they have been appointed by by politicians like I I guess my 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 nucleus of this point here is are the peoples on are the people and the bureaucrats who run Hungarian football who are in the middle management positions essentially the people who make the most decisions like it's not always the the top person it's not Shandor Chonyu who's making all the decisions it's kind of middle management where the bureaucrats are are they actually passionate about Hungarian football are they passionate about football are they just kind of in a position who where they do have a lot of say over Hungarian football but actually don't know that much or are just doing a job whereas like you think to someone like Istvan Beregi who's obviously at the national team soared to that national team position like really really fast like if you have people or like like you guys as well like if you have people as passionate about the sport and football in those positions is Hungarian football still in the position it is today like that's kind of yeah it's it's a unquestionable answer but like mm, it's, it's interesting to me if that that may be the case. I think I think passion is is not a question. Um, and if you look at what's interesting about what it's what's interesting about the Hungarian Federation, for example, is that it's led by one of the most successful businessmen in Hungary, if not the most successful businessman in Hungary. Uh, and if you look at the website or you get familiarized with uh, you know his company that is uh, that is Mall, um, you know. They are a very European, very modern, very westernized um, company. So there's no excuses for 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 us to say that you know Shando Chani is not a an excellent businessman, an excellent uh, visionaire, an excellent person to lead to lead an organization because he is. He proved it that he is um, on the free marketplace internationally. So it's not so, so you know he's even though you might say that he's a political figure to to be to be named, but really he isn't. And so. Uh, from that standpoint, I think that's that that shouldn't be an excuse. The question is, is you know that freedom is guaranteed um, for thinkers to to try to to try to improve 
to try to innovate and to try to you know find their way back to the to the old traditional way of of football. I think in the in the communism, what was very interesting is that the hierarchy based on the society, right? Like it's highly hierarchical. You know, if you if you think back to it, there's you know there was so many roles, so many positions. Everybody was above somebody, and everybody was below somebody. That was the whole point of the system, is that you, you give out as many roles as you can. So there's the responsibility, like kind of like goes and spreads through the entire organizational chart. As a result, nobody really feels responsible for it. That was the whole point of of communism. Everybody's responsible, but nobody's really responsible. And in that situation, in that situation. Um, hierarchy gives a kind of like a freedom, especially when it comes to like, um, um, I don't know the right word, but not a, not a materialistic, um, objective, uh, something like, like football, like the game of football is not an objective. It's highly subjective. So as a result, you can have that, that freedom because as long as you get results, you do whatever you want. As long as you're making the party happy, you do whatever you want. And the people that are working in the, in the football industry felt that need, that they need to get results in order to make the party happy. And, and as a result, they did anything that they, they, they had to do. Uh, I think that responsibility is not on uh, today's, today's uh, um, actors of, of Hungarian football. Uh, I think that that freedom is not available for them. I think they are not pushed towards these new new ideas and to innovate. They are not pushed towards innovation. Um, they are also, you know, Marco Rossi is somebody that is actually really good at this as well, who is learned how to handle now social media and know how to handle, you know, social media narratives and, and how to handle the press. And so as a result, we are in this state right now, and I have conversations with my friends all the time where, Oh, what are you saying to play better? What do you say to improve the st- play of st- style of play? This is the best that we can do. So now, not only there's no, I don't think that the actors within Hungarian football are pressed or pushed to innovate, but also the current results are being wrapped as fantastic, exceptional, and we cannot get higher. And I disagree on both. I think we should innovate. I think we should go back to the traditional way of of football. And I also think that these results can be better. And not only the results can be better, but the style of play can improve as well. Yeah, it's interesting to say about Chanyi. Obviously, he is a very, very successful businessman, without any doubt. And the, one of the factors of being a successful businessman is obviously making money. And one thing that they have done is is made a lot of money um, through Hungarian football in terms of, did anyone really need a new stadium bar Friday? Probably not. Um, they were all capable of, of, you know, let's face it, they could have built a ground that fitted 2,000 people in it. It, it, you know, probably wouldn't be full. But here we have all this infrastructure that's absolutely phenomenally incredible. So it brings politics into it as well, because, you know, there's people I, I speak to in Hungary who, who don't have any interest in football or sport, but they hate it because it's taking away funding that should be going to hospitals or to schools and things like that. Is, how does it, how do you get that balance between I, I mean the latest thing now we 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 touched on last time Ben say was that they're now clubs in Hungary are going to be offered around eight hundred thousand euros in in return for playing um, under twenty one players uh, a certain percentage in 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 every MB one game okay fans are not coming to watch MB one games at, at the minute um, even with the wealth of talent that is on display. Um, where are these where are these people going to come from to to watch football when you're potentially taking away you know maybe an average player 
uh, average to better player to to have to fulfil that role by putting, um, you, you know, we know a lot of clubs do have really talented under 21s, but we also know a lot of clubs don't. Is that not devaluing the product that, you know, the product overall um, within Hungary that it doesn't have any effect on the on the national sort of team side of things? Well, I disagree. There's a lack of passion for football in Hungary. You only have to look at the Euros, for example. Oh, no, no, don't get me wrong, Ben. So I'm, I'm, I'm not talking about the national team level. I'm talking about our league yeah. level. Which... Well, well and, 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 that's, and that's the problem, that we have to find uh, some sort of way to incentivize those people who are interested in football to come to the MB1 games. And I think uh, part of that is uh, when I speak to a lot of Ferenc Varish fans, for example, is um, they don't really identify with the team. There's a lack of sort of people like in the great Ferenc Varish team of the 90s who made it to Champions League. They had a, a few foreign players, but they also had the likes of Listesh and, and a few other players who came through the system who understood what it meant to play for Ferenc Varish. And I think a lot of the times, like nowadays, um, when you look at Hungarian MB1 teams, you don't have those sort of figures who get get the crowd and uh, who understand the you know the the core of the club. But like even if if we look at England, like they're still uh, homegrown players at at the highest level. Like Liverpool, you have Trent Alexander Arnold and uh, Curtis Jones coming through at Manchester City. You have Phil Foden and and those type of players. I think they're necessary to. Uh, you know, get get the fans on board and get the fans excited. And uh, at Ferenc Varish, I, I think apart from, you know, Shigir and Dibus and Botkov, but again, all, all these players were developed outside of Ferenc Varish. They're, they're still, they're, they're Hungarian in a sense, but they're not homegrown products. Uh, so I think there's, there's, there's a lack of those typical Ferenc Varish players at the moment. Um, that were present in the 90s when I think attendance levels were still slightly higher and in, in the 80s as well. Yeah, it's uh, Tom, we, you know, politics being your kind of special area of specialism here. Um, I, I, read, I read an article by Bensai. It was, I can't remember how long ago it was. And it was after the involvement of um, the Hungarian government in, in, uh, in football under Orban. Um, that our youth teams had started to qualify. I think from 2014 onwards, Ben, like they were, they were um, starting to qualify for these tournaments again. Was that right, Ben? Yeah, I think there was uh, not not just tournaments, but just starting to do well since since you know the investment was made into Hungarian football since yeah. the regime change. There has been a significant improvement in in how youth teams have developed in in the past ten years in Hungary. So there is an upward trajectory, but I mean, Hungary started out before 2010 from, you know, there was the late success of the Christian Nemeth era, but before that, there was nothing really. So there's nothing to go off of. There was an Olympic appearance in the 90s, but in the early 2000s, like, and, and late 90s, there was nothing to, to build on at the time. So the fact that they have improved doesn't really mean anything in the grand scheme of things, because... Uh, the margin for improvement was so small. It does, but Tom, are we, are we always going to have to put up with the fact that 
politics will always be involved in in Hungarian football and and what does that do for the younger generation who are possibly not big supporters of of the the current government that we have i think i think football is a is a political driver in every country to be honest to a certain extent um obviously hungary is is maybe larger um than than the average you would say but you look at someone like saudi arabia qatar especially obviously um but you even think to england like how much like the english government tried to use um england's success in last last euros as being like a well i guess a sign of english exceptionalism which is always kind of paraded by the tory government you saw it with with all the politicians becoming england fans for the euros it's always the case i guess it's just kind of the cert- to what extent is is hungary is is politics going to be uh, well is football going to be an arm of politics and in hungary it is it is massive um the problem is that like you look back to like you say like the 2000s era that government was corrupt as as guess to be honest as well like it's not like this this change of of government to Fidesz and obviously most people know my opinion on Fidesz and Orban like their values don't align with mine at all so I'm not going to be the biggest defender of Orban but like the previous government were terrible as well it's not like we've we've gone from like an amazing government to a, a, a really terrible one overnight like the problems with Hungarian society and hungarian football are a a lot older than like 12 years old i guess like it's not it's not kind of a fidesz thing but um it it is interesting i think it is kind of interesting how like the the youth of today will will see football like i mean the the problem is i think what kind of yvonne touched on is uh, or it might have been benzo like i think it was benzo when talking about like being a community being part of a community and that's what the that's what the football team should be and the problem when you when you have someone like Mezakovest and Kishvarder and Poch to a certain extent in in the top league they're not teams who will that because of the population sizes and what they are as football clubs push push academy as well they are they aren't arms of the community whereas someone like Zalegersheg and and Seged more so Seged wasn't really a football city traditionally but they have are becoming more so I guess and maybe you could put that down in in certain extent to uh so Ivan's shaking his head there yeah I'm from Seged Seged has 15 <laughs> years of first division football come on man <laughs> and, and you're still most famous for handball though Ivan well you might say that you might and say salami. that <laughs> Well, you, you kind of think to like the bigger cities. That's what, what I kind of mean, like in Debrecen and the Ozdor and stuff. They're that where you would, they're the teams that I think that should be getting the biggest push from the polit from the political side. If if you are going to try and play politics with this, you shouldn't be pushing Mezakovs and Kishvardi. You should be trying to really buy into those communities and get and build those build those football clubs around the community in the same way as. As, as they do in England like when I'm grow when I was growing up in Nottingham like Nottingham Forest and County would 
would be everywhere around the community. They'd be going to schools all the time. That you'd see like the players all the time. You'd be doing coaching clubs and like getting in like involved with the community as much as you can. They're basically trying to buy you as a fan for the rest of your life. And that's literally what they should be doing in Hungary. And like I say, it's it's hard to do that with with Division Two clubs because it's not very appealing. Well, MB1 isn't appealing to the youth when you're seeing like Premier League and Bundesliga teams and Serie A teams on TV, but especially Premier League, to be honest, these days, because that that product is so fantastic. It's hard to lure people with with MB1 and you can understand that in certain ways. And I think that's why in a certain respect, like the, the building of the stadiums is actually maybe low key an actual good idea because it makes the product feel better when you go to like Ferenc Varos stadium you go to the new Seged stadium it feels a lot more real it, compared to the old falling down stadiums that used to be um but obviously when a team's in mb2 like even harder to appeal so i think i think it's just more like community building and i think when a lot of the fallout over the last uh, over the election on on sunday a lot of what you read from the, the opposition fallout is uh, is on we need to do more community building we need to speak to locals more we need to understand their fears understand why they are voting for this understand why they're not voting for the opposition and i think you've got to do with the same with football like try and just speak to people and, and see why they're not going to games is it the product is it because it's the political political finance it's, it's kind of just doing like like basic um groups and like and little focus groups and getting yeah and just talking to people yeah Fantastic. yeah i have i have some thoughts on that if you guys don't mind um what what the first one that um you know the first one that I, that i would say that i agree completely and that was a good good analysis on on the current situation um but but some things some things we must you know we must touch on the first the first thing is that i lived through you know i left i left hungary in 2010 2011 um i was 18 years old at that time so i never I spent like a two months on on the homeland, on the home soil as an adult. So all my adult life was in the United States. And now I just turned 30 a um, couple of weeks ago. So, you know, I'm almost at the same time spending time on, in America than, than in Hungary. But I still spend a lot of time in Hungary and, and I lived through it as a, as a young football player. And I was, if you would see the dressing rooms and the things that, you know, the stadiums and the fields that I was I was playing on and where I was you know, growing up and, and the things that we had to do in order to, in order to, you know, become, become athletes just in general, um, you would, you would be, you would be really surprised. I think, um, it's really pure, really poor, really poor circumstances and conditions. And so when, um, I was actually at Pushkash Academy as a youngster as well, that was the first time when I was understanding how is this look like and what what it should look like so i think the sport sports world in general should be eternally thankful for for this government uh to turn things around and absolutely making the conditions and the circumstances the way they are now um and i believe that the the from the political standpoint you're absolutely spot on this should be an advantage the way that the way that it is set up should be an advantage and not a disadvantage and i tend to look like look at it uh, that way as well because we have you know, I just listened to our prime minister today. He's saying that, you know, it's a it's a national patriotic government. And so as a national patriotic uh, government, you know, football could be a tool to have that national patriotic feeling uh, going in the country. And to be fair, on the national team level, it, ha- it, it is happening. I think on the on the 
first division MB1 level, it is not happening. And you have a really good point on building local communities with it. But how are you going to connect to a team when you have 11 foreigners playing on the team? And it's not because the Hungarian society would be racist or anything like that. But it's because, you know, if it's not, if he doesn't look like me, if he doesn't speak like me, if he doesn't act like me, it's not so easy to connect with, with somebody. That's just human nature right there. Um, that's the one thing. The other thing is the job is to rise, right? Like the job is to rise, the overall world of Hungarian football to rise. And in order to rise, you need big big thinkers. In order to rise, you need, uh, uh, you know, philosophies. In order to rise, you need vision. And so I think the problem is, is that there's nobody responsible for creating that um, vision and that feeling uh, or that philosophy. Because, and you say about, and you say about Mezirkovesh, and you say about Kishvada, for example, the question is, is who's spending that money that is available? And who is responsible for creating that vision and who is responsible for spending that money? That That is the question. Because the money, what the government is doing, and, you know, personally in this, in this case, Viktor Orban is doing to promote the game of football, you know, the money being there is a good thing. The question is how we are spending that that money. Are we selecting people that are talented and are we selecting people that are willing to innovate or are we selecting people that are just trying to survive from one day to the other? And, and you know, that goes back to the short term thinking again. And, you know, I can go on and on. It's, it's interesting. I mean, like a lot of these clubs could be uh, a victim of their own success. Friday, for instance, um, the Champions League, the Europa League in recent seasons, the expectations are, are ridiculously high now. Um, so that expectation level that they have to maintain means that they're probably going to have to keep all these foreign players, etc., to, to take them to that next level. Ideally, we, you know, we, it would be Poch, who obviously you call Poch 2.5. Um, but, you know, it's just not going to happen to compete. And I think that's the same for every country. If you look at the, the teams that are regularly in the Champions League and the Europa League, they've kind of took the best of everything from, from you know, even countries in Croatia, etc. We'll have a lot of, you know, maybe it used to be Brazilian players. It used to be that kind of thing. At what point do you kind of think you can't have it both ways? You know, we want you to come and fill the stands, but we can't give you Hungarian players like, out, you know, well, I think I think yeah. Croatia is a, is a good example because you have Dinamo Zagreb there who, who do have some foreign imports, but at the core of Zagreb you always have a few Croatian players. Like even in the current team, you have uh, Luka Ivanušić, um, Lovro Meyer as well. Before that, who now is in Rennes and he's doing really well in League One. So you all they always have some young Croatian players who can make the next step. And I think if if we are looking at Freddy specifically, that is the system to follow for them. Uh, a Dynamo Zagreb type team who regularly are in the Champions League, Europa League, have a couple of young, um, you know, homegrown talent. And uh, on top of that, they also get very far as well in, in the, the Europa League. And they... they cause some upsets as well every now and again yeah absolutely but I, I guess the the hard bit is to you know I think that we will have to do another one of these podcasts for sure because we have so much many you know so many more things to go through and it's been absolutely brilliant listening to you guys but um the victim let's say the victims of, the, of their success and the fact being that do how do you keep these young players in Hungary 
to be able to step up and be the core of that Farage Farage team that, you, you know, how are you convincing them to stay there and not following the, uh, the shoes of Soboslai, et cetera, who obviously have got their big moves abroad and are flourishing? Well, I don't think you have to keep all of them in Hungary. I think it's good to have some foreign talent abroad, even in Croatia. I mean, Croatia has, I think, only half of the population that Hungary has. So they're, on paper, there, sh- there should be enough talent to go abroad and also to, to play in the home league as well. So um, I think the issue here is the fact that, um, you know, when you're almost more likely at the moment as a youngster to break through by going abroad than staying in Hungary. So I think what needs to change is you should be more likely to break through in Hungary than to go abroad. Mm. The, going abroad should be the more difficult choice rather than it almost seems like sometimes an easier option or, although it's far from easy but it, it just feels like it you have more opportunities abroad absolutely guys we are fast running out of time for this episode we'll promise that we're, we're going to get these guys back and we'll we'll try and get them for longer but we're on different time zones etc so it is difficult what i want to do to finish up with is uh get to the, the the questions that we've had sent over via twitter um thank you as always for for the questions we'll do our best to get through these in a kind of rapid fashion guys feel free to jump in and take any ones that you want um going to say a shout to wonder kids hungry um what a what a perfect account to be uh, to be talking about on today um first off thoughts on uh, we mentioned him earlier andros name it what's what's your uh, thoughts on him guys um, um go ahead uh, i was just I, I i'll make it quick and then you can jump in straight after um he he is like um like especially for someone who's played so little senior football I think he's so impressive like just as like a natural striker really um almost like a poacher like he, he has got more to his game like he, he links played beautifully well um but his kind of penalty box instinct is is super impressive um he's got physical attributes and he's a hell of a finisher I think I think he is going to be superb. I'm just wary about him playing for the national team because he's kind of, is he going to be the sort of player who's going to get that many chances playing for Hungary? I don't know. But um, yeah, that's my opinion. I think he's class, but I just worry about him playing for the national team. A bit like Soboslai. Yeah, definitely. Um, definitely an issue that um, the plays the way he plays. It's not just a long ball and then go deal with it. Be glad. Um, so that's definitely an issue. Um, I would say this, that, you know, if you remember Adam Solai uh, back in the day when he was, uh, you know, not only at um, not only at um, um, Castilla, Real Madrid Castilla, but when he started his career as well um, in the in the first first ranks and all the way to when he was at Schalke, you know, he, he was, you know, he had a major injury. And so that's why he got a little bit slower and less athletic. But before that, Adam Solai was a, was a very, you know, formidable forward when it comes to movements and quickness even big boy always been a big boy good good uh good with his headers and so what i'm saying is that you know we name it is somebody that that can resemble him so you know in a style of play point of view also maybe a little bit better technically than adam Salai was so i you know i i truly think that uh, he could be the future of the number nine position for Hungary. And by the way, I'm not taking big risks on that because who else would be? 
because there's nothing more and nobody more. <laughs> um, ben, say, I, I've been a long-term um, promoter of the Hungarian second division. Um, the level in that division has increased incredibly over the last few seasons. And one of that reasons is because of the, uh, the youngsters that are in it. Um, who do you think are the biggest talents currently in that division? Well, I think right now you only have to look at Seged, Ivan's hometown, and you know look at Christopher Horvath, who's doing very well, and also I think Kevin Chobot, who came um, came from Videoton or Fehevar or whatever they're, they're called at the moment. It's hard to keep track. Always, always Videoton yeah. for as but, long as I live. But for me, I think those two, I think Chobot has especially impressed me since he's come to Seged. Uh, he won a penalty again today, and... Horvat scored the penalty as well in Seged's victory against Chakwai. So, yeah, for me, I think those are the two standout. But you also have Ian Boy, Patrick, who's uh, doing very well at Washosh. And, and there's a few others. I think Raimund uh, Moenaer as well is doing very well. And he's on loan from Benfica. So, yeah, the, the talent and, and the quality is improving. And I think it's going to be interesting to see how that sort of talent, how they're promoted and implemented, hopefully into the first division next season, because that's what needs to happen now. Now we have a, a very young and youthful second division, and we need to see those young players being implemented and have a gradual step into the first division. Excellent. I think the next one, I think the next age group to look at is the U19 age group that has been excellent. Uh, Christian Timar, the head coach of uh, head coach of that national team, has ha, has been a very good, impressing me to be honest. Um, and I and I I am very careful saying that, especially about Hungarian coaches. Um, so he's he's a very impressive coach, and I think that that age group is doing fantastic. That's where we have Zolan Vancha. That's where we have Matyash Kovac from from MTKA. MTK, I'm having a hard time saying it in an English version. Yeah. These teams, um, so yeah, you know, I think I think um, those two players specifically, uh, Zalan Vancha and Matyash Kovac, are the ones that I would pay rather, you know, significant attention on. So this is this is another question we're gonna we're gonna go through, and I think we'll give you all one uh, one answer each on this. Um, the most underrated Hungarian wonder kid, Tom. Who's who's gonna be yours? It's hard to say underrated because we rate them all so highly. Probably we're all, I know, probably too highly is what we're guilty of. But which one's kind of the most under the radar at you for the minute? I don't know if it's about under the radar, but I I think he's the best. Like, And I said this on the last podcast, like Schenko at Juventus. Like, I am honestly astounded by him. Like I said, in UEFA Youth League, if you see his like best saves, they are ridiculous. Um, like he's he's not just a goalkeeper who is massive, like he's got so much more to his game. Like sometimes you get these keepers at youth level who are just really big, and that's why they kind of play at youth level because yeah, they can come out and collect crosses or whatever. He's got so much to his game. He can ping passes like anywhere across the pitch with both feet. He's got an enormous kick on him as well. It's not just like his his accuracy, his both feet. I am a goalkeeper, so I absolutely like geek out on a goalkeeper um but his hand-eye coordination is incredible like it's like that's why he makes these incredible saves like if you look at his um save repertoire as well for the, over the three and un, un, under 19 games ridiculous like and what i always am impressed by and david de Gea does this like when a goalkeeper gets their full hand to a save 
that's why I always think is so much more impressive than just a fingertip because a fingertip is impressive obviously if they're tipping it around the post or whatever or it's it's impressive in any way any right when you get a full hand to it that shows like hand-eye coordination skills in my opinion because it shows that you are getting where exactly the point where you want your hand to be to the ball and it makes the save so much easier to make as well because you are getting such a stronger hand to it that's why David De Gea when he gets his hand to a save most of the time, he saves it because he gets the full hand there. Like David De Gea has a lot of problems wrong with him, but as a shot stopper, he's incredible. And because of his coordination and his reflexes. And I think Schenkel, ha- like he reminds me of so much of Donnarumma, like in so many respects, that, but maybe better with his feet. But like, yeah, I don't want to get him ahead of myself, but he's so, so good in my opinion. Yvonne, how about you? Which one are you going to pick as the most underrated? I will, I will give you uh, Jean-Bord Gruber, who is at FC Basel. Uh, he's a forward, uh, and you might have heard about him or might have remembered his name uh, from the Pushkar Suzuki Cup uh, because he was one of the best players. Yeah, actually, I think he was selected the best player of that tournament um, past April, a year ago, exactly, I think, uh, that, you know, Falchut won for the first time in their history. And he was the forward, and he played extremely well in that tournament. And, and a couple of days later, they announced that FC Basel uh, bought him. And the other interesting thing about him is uh, that um, Matias Esterházy, Matias Esterházy, who is the who is the you know the agent or the representative of um, Soboslai or Schaefer or or other players as well. Actually, Schenko as well that you just mentioned, but also to Gruber as well. And if you ask him, he would say if you ask Esterházy, he would say that you know Gruber is probably the best player that they have or the biggest potential that they have and so I don't think there's a lot of talk about him he's 17 years old and I think uh, the other day I, I, I saw somewhere that he that he played for, uh, on in a friendly for the first team and he scored a goal too so I think he's on his way and he's also forward so I said a couple minutes ago that there's nobody else but there is somebody else so Gruber is also also somebody to keep an eye on and how about you Ben he scored twice now, actually. That was his second goal in a friendly game for the senior team. So that that's very encouraging. Um, for me, I would have I would have gone. I'm gonna go to the Hungarian league, and I think before the national team, senior national team call ups, I would have said Peter Bara because he's been doing very well for Debrecen, and I think he's a very versatile player. And now he, but now I think he's being linked to a move with Besiktas, and it seems like European clubs are looking at him. I think the next player who's underrated and is similar to him, I, they were at the Under-17 World Cup together, is Mihai Kota. He's been very good for NTK in a very poor NTK team, and uh, I was very impressed with him for Hungary's Under-21 team as well. Um, in the the recent international games. He he just looks. Um, he was always talented, but I think the last few months he looks quicker, more uh, just sharper, and everything. And and I think uh, if he keeps going like that, then he will be the next one from MTK to to get a move abroad. I'm gonna go with Kobiashvili at Barcelona. Um, I I don't think people even realise he's Hungarian because of uh, because of that surname. So Georgian, um, surely. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, yeah, I, I, let's hope that we get to call him up before they uh, they do a Callum Styles on us. Um, yeah, fingers crossed. But yeah, I think that that guy's um, 
he is enormous. He's one of the most dominating goalkeepers I've seen. I'm I'm scared as a 47-year-old man to go near him. So I can't imagine what these youngsters in there in Spain are feeling with at the both minute. feet and with both feet. Yeah, I saw a video of him like pinging the ball left and right, and and, and for the whole video they were showing it with his left. So I'm like, oh, he's a lefty goalkeeper. I already like him, you know, Ederson. Wow, let's go. He's pinging him, pinging him, pinging him, and then in the last half a half a minute of the video, he turns and then pings it with his right. <laughs> I'm like, no way. That is definitely a guy who wants to be a centre forward, but always got put in goal. I, I'm, I think I'm... the good news for Hungary is his brother. He plays for Girona, and he's already represented Hungary at under 18 levels. So it looks like the ties are closer to Hungary with the family. Exactly. So that fingers a, crossed. I, I think we're going to have to end up the way that the talent with goalkeepers is at the minute. We're going to need to name about six on the bench. So there's the yeah. And we have two goalkeepers in. Like, is that a new formation? A two-four-four-one? Is that, that a, is that a thing? Works for me, especially we can put Kobiashvili anywhere on the pitch with his uh, with his feet as well. So yeah, it's probably better than our left back. You're right. <laughs> um. Guys, I want to I want to shout out Noel on Twitter as well, who's um, who's given you guys some homework, right? Because we're definitely coming back for for episode two of of, of this special. Um, he wants to know a future eleven for for if these if everyone can reach their potentials. So that's homework for you guys to to, to get on with there. Um, it'd be interesting to see like the differences that we come up with because I I don't think they'll all be as cut dry as, as we think it would be in terms of, of players. So definitely get on the, um, that one, guys. Um, listen, thank you so much all for your time this evening. I know it's been very valuable and let's say different time zones and everything. I'm glad we've managed to get together just to kick off. I actually did some prep before this podcast, which is like absolutely ridiculous of me to do. And we've currently gone through two of about the 20 questions that I had. So I'm never doing any prep again. Thanks to you guys. Okay. Um, so we're definitely going to get you guys back as promised. Um, ben, sir, thanks so much. Um, loved having you again. Yeah, great to be on. Yeah, pleasure Yvonne, always. Yvonne, we're going to get so much um, feedback from having you on. And, and I'm sure people are going to go, we, we want this guy more. So um, please do come back. We definitely need to do more on this. Thanks for, thanks for coming, Yvonne. Anytime. I loved it. I loved it. Really did. And Tom, thank you. You've been very subdued and quiet today. Ever since we kind of we started with you, like your, your ear injury and missing penalties and that, I feel like maybe I've kind of like dampened your mood a bit before today. But all guns blazing next episode, please, Tom. It was that guy on Twitter. He got into my head. Yeah, a shout out to Gabble Gabble. So right, <laughs> they named him twice. Um, amazing Tom it's like how does he know those things about you he must be some kind of stalker now we had a bit of a romance back in the day <laughs> yeah, that's why he's calling me names he just I broke his heart I think I'm sorry apologies sorry, to Gabble. anyone that's um that that's not on Twitter that listens to this this podcast but uh check Tom's feed it's well worth having a look at if you want to know the state of um Hungarian politics and, and people's opinions at the minute. Um, very, very interesting. Um, thank you, as always, everyone, for clicking and listening. We really, really appreciate it and getting into in, interactive with us on Twitter as well. Um, for now, that's the end of episode one, and we will see you back very soon for episode two on Hungarian youth. See ya, Stock. <laughs>